The following is a message by Dr. Howell Jones from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. We lift up our minds and hearts to Thee, O Lord our God, while we humble ourselves before Thee, giving Thee thanks that Thou hast revealed Thyself to us in Thy dear Son, made flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by Thine own Spirit made Him precious to us, the source of light and life to our understandings and our spirits, and we therefore rejoice in the fellowship that we together have with thee and with him by the Holy Spirit. Draw near to us as we open thy word and consider its truth. Grant that greater light might be given to us so that we might walk before thee more confidently, obediently, with expectation of grace upon grace being supplied to us, for all our needs, that we might live only to thy praise, pardon our sins, extend thy kingdom in the earth, exalt thy Son, preserve thy work in this seminary, prosper it to the ends of the earth, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Be seated, please. This isn't a context in which we become up close and personal, up close, I hope, personal later. So let us hear God's word as he addresses us, the opening verses of the first epistle of John. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father, and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed, Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. A passage of scripture that is familiar to you already, I'm sure, and doubtless will become more so during your time here in the seminary, but I hope never so familiar that you lose the sense of amazement and wonder in connection with it and realize that however much we may learn about it, it is but little in comparison to what it contains and expresses. Beware of that attitude to Scripture, uh, which makes you feel that you not only are at home with it because it is your heavenly Father's word to you, but that you know all that it says, 
that is never true of any portion of Scripture, and particularly any portion of the writings of John the Apostle. One commentator has said that uh, John's writing is like a pool for a little child to paddle in and an ocean for an elephant to swim in. And this profundity here and an expansiveness of truth and an enrichment of spirits. So what I want to do this morning is just to quickly try to survey this letter as an introduction to some of the verses that follow. One day, John heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And he made a mental note of that and did not exclude it from the selection of our Lord's sayings and signs which comprise his gospel. He continued to reflect on that. And here in this opening chapter of his first letter, light and life abound. We are going to therefore use those themes as a means of integrating as briefly as we can what these verses have to say to us. And as I'm now in the land of sermon titles, we're going to think about living in the light. Begins explosively, doesn't it? And gloriously. Unlike any other New Testament letter, with the exception of the epistle to the Hebrews, which itself is like two Bibles rolled into one. John is writing, so he tells us, in order that those who believe on the name of the Son of God may know that they have eternal life. That's the purpose of the letter. He makes that statement at the conclusion of the letter, and as another commentator has said, he leaves the key to his letter hanging by the back door. And so that's what we use in order to understand this letter. We dare not turn it into a means of unsettling believers. That is contrary to John's purpose, which was the exact opposite. It was to confirm believers and assure them that believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, eternal life was theirs. He wrote the gospel, as you've been hearing, in order to create, generate, and increase faith. He writes this first letter to confirm believers in the assurance of faith. And then comes the apocalypse to encourage that steadfastness and perseverance to the end. And so these three writings of the apostle, they're, they're a trilogy on faith, believing, believing, and continuing to believe, and so 
persevering and triumphing at the end and entering into the blessed presence of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, how does he do it in this first epistle? Well, he doesn't describe feelings. Emotions are included. By the way, he begins with statements of truth and then statements of knowledge. Read, sit down, read the letter, note these expressions. This is the. And we know that. And by this we know that. And there you have a skeleton of the structure of this letter which will enable you to understand and appreciate it even more. He lays then this basic foundation, these statements of truth. And without those truths, all claim to assurance is arrogance. It's empty. They amount to nothing. It is because of these revealed facts that there is a bedrock for faith. He says this is the message right in the beginning of the letter. The proclamation about the God who is light in whom is no darkness at all. A little later on he says this God who is light without any darkness is love. Light and love are components of eternal life to our souls. I always bridle a little bit when I hear people on television refer to adverts as messages. They are messages, of course. Uh, but you, you know you can't take them at face value. You immediately, I hope, say, ah, wait, there must, be, there must be a catch somewhere. There's no catch here. There's no reason for an if or a but. This is the. The message. This, is, this message consists of promise. This is the promise that God has promised us. Eternal life. It consists of commandment as well. This is the commandment that he has given us that we should believe on his son and love one another. Promise and commandment, gospel and law to believers comprise the message that God makes known in the gospel. And then we read this is the victory that overcomes the world. There's a world that doesn't believe this. We believe it. And that which we believe enables us to triumph and to conquer and to rise above every alternative ideology and to know that what we hold on to is nothing short of and nothing else than God's self-revealing word about himself and all that he speaks. And then he says, this is the witness. 
the testimony that God has given to his son throughout his son's life and by the spirit, that testifier, the spirit of truth, has authenticated, said amen to that truth in our own minds and in our own hearts. And there is the bedrock for assurance. This is, in the 1970s, the first American preacher I heard in Westminster Chapel in London was Dr. Charles Woodbridge. Some of you will remember him. He was giving an address on that evening about uh, the um, Mayflower pilgrims. And he was, he was lively and loud. He would have had us all on the boat the next day, <laughs> but as the crew. But I remember him saying this, and I think he said that he got it from Machen. So it's impeccable. <laughs> is, is. There's no such word as is a. And certainly no such word as is est. You don't, those are words that you haven't coined over here, are they? Is, is. This is. You can stake your all on it. Forever. You will never be put to shame. Then he goes on to say, to make statements of knowledge. We know that. Hereby we know that. Now they are positive, aren't they? They are, first of all, reminders of what we know. And then, in the, following the expression, by this we know, he stoops down. The Spirit of Christ stoops down to help us to know what we know. To have no doubt about what we know. The Apostle Paul, when he spoke to the church at Corinth, talked about knowledge. But the expression that he used was, don't you know? And that is the echo of rebuke, chastisement, surprise in that expression. Not here. John is saying, little children. He's echoing that words that, that the, the address of the Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples in the upper room. That's where he heard this first. Little children. The good shepherd with the sheep. And here is the under-shepherd. The aged under-shepherd. With Christ's sheep in Ephesus and in the surrounding uh, areas of that city and what he's doing is what Jesus did in the upper room to his own as he stooped down to them in order that they might not be troubled that they might have peace that they might overcome the world that they might know the father that's what John is doing here never 
never turn this letter into a means of belittling the work of God's grace and the least grain of faith in the, a Christian. I'm remembering a, a ministerial friend of mine who went to a church that, well, it couldn't really be called a church, truly. And when I met him, I asked him how he was doing. Oh, he said, I found a wonderful book on 1 John, The Tests of Life. Perhaps some of you know it, by Robert Law. Well, I said, how have you got on? Oh, he said, I've got rid of the organist, and I've got rid of three elders and four deacons. Well, perhaps they ought to have left. But you can't use 1 John like that. This isn't a means of creating doubt. It's to help people to know that what they know is founded on what is and cannot be removed. That is unshakable and eternal. So, read through this epistle with those two statements. Our time has gone out, two statements in mind. Let me just draw your attention to this. You, you Greek scholars, you know that there are two words for no in 1 John. One refers to a knowledge of uh, realities. The other refers to how we come to a knowledge of those realities. We know that this is how we have perceived it. And that's where the experiential comes in. The experiential has an objective dimension. It isn't anchored in anything within us. It's anchored its response to what is external to us, what has been graciously revealed to us. We know, and hereby we know that we know. If you believe what is, if you can say, however weakly, I know, we know, then don't doubt your knowledge. Go to these tests. How is it that we know? that our knowledge is true and not fictional, that it is saving knowledge, it's spiritual understanding. But what do you believe? That Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, from the beginning, throughout his earthly life, even in death, raised, exalted, returning. Do you believe that? That's true faith. And you love, you love the brethren, the excellent in the earth, those who belong to Jesus Christ and in whom, in spite of all the other things you see, sadly so often, in whom from time to time you see something of the beauty of Jesus. You're a believer. And if you're out to keep the commandments of Jesus Christ, that moral law reinterpreted, expanded, unpacked by him, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear,
we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Let us pray. Bless thy truth to us, O Lord our God. Receive our thanks for it and that it is to us thy very voice resounding in our minds, echoing in our memories, elevating our spirits and strengthening our wills to serve thee. Part us with thy grace. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.